This is a post-Christian podcast. Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. All right, here we go. We are live. Hello, everyone. Give everybody a few minutes to get on. Good morning. Welcome to church. We should have some music playing in the background. <laughs> As everyone ushers in to the service, this is the day the Lord has made. <laughs> I will rejoice and be glad in it. Looking for volunteers for our potluck? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> our online potluck. People get to see me drink from the side. <clears throat> All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Revolution <sighs> from a bunker somewhere deep underground. Um, <clears throat> hope everybody's having a good week. Uh, this is things keep getting crazier, right? Um, I know that I've been, you know, I'm an introvert, so I'm always in the house. And, uh, and, you know, I like to, you know, take care of my kids, keep to myself a lot. Um, but it's so funny, like when you don't have the choice, like it's just always nice to have the choice to go out. And then when you don't have the choice to go out or do things, it kind of plays with your mind a little bit. I'm sure a lot of us, uh, you introverts are understanding that you extroverts definitely understand that. Um, so yeah, been taking care of the kids and man, it's crazy, you know, you just, Bad weather, we're stuck in a tiny apartment all day. Um, but luckily, they've been cleaning our apartment really well. It smells like a hotel now in the hallway, which is new. And the kids like to run run around, run down the hallways. My son Milo is like, I got to get the wiggles out. So that means we got to go run down the hallway. Um, so, yeah, that's been been interesting. To see, uh, to live through this time of the COVID-19. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's been pretty dark, pretty weird, um, pretty tough. I hope everybody's handling it okay. And uh, wearing your face masks when you go to the store. Somebody sent me a face mask like six months ago. And I was like, what is this? I couldn't figure it out. And I was like, Oh, it's a face mask. Why would they send this to me? And I put it in the drawer of my house and now I'm really happy. I have it. <laughs> it has a sloth on it and it says, don't do much. So that's, <laughs> that'll be me. My message to the world. Just don't do anything except wear a damn face mask. Um, it is odd, you know, speaking in a room, I, uh, just a Caleb. <laughs> Um, who's still, uh, in bed with a ankle, a bad ankle, but it's getting better, you know, slowly, but surely still out of work, but now he's like, we've all joined Caleb. (laughs) Now we're all out of work and stuck at home. Um, so today I was going to, I wanted to, you know, I was, I was trying to think about what to talk about and it, it is really kind of weird trying to. Um, 
you know, with all this extra time, you think I'd have more time to just sit down and prep a sermon, but I'm so used to like going out to a cafe or going to Bryant Lake Bowl and just having some food and a nice drink and nice Diet Coke and sit there and, and read and, and prepare a talk and, you know, so I haven't been able to do that. So I've having to like discipline myself to prepare talks from home, which has kind of been, uh, it's tough. All the stuff you say you're going to get done, like, oh, if I just had time to do this, I've realized it's just bullshit. I don't have time. I mean, I have plenty of time to do the things in my house I need to do, and I'm not doing them. Um, but I was thinking about, um, you know, I know today's Palm Sunday, and like I like to do on most holidays is ignore them. So unfortunately, no Palm Sunday for you guys today. Um, we'll be lucky if we get a good Easter talk. Um, 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 but I wanted to talk about brokenness today and brokenness as sin. And so I kind of reached out to my friend, Mr. Mr. Peter Rollins. And <clears throat> I was like, Hey, you know, sin is brokenness or this, that. And he was like, well, I kind of see it as a lack. And so we started talking a little bit about that and, uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about brokenness, sin as brokenness or as a lack in our lives. And we're going to look at what Tillich says. We're going to kind of see what Preet Rollins says and even Todd McGowan says on it. Um, and so this morning I got a a voice message from Pete. So I knew it must be important because I've never gotten one from him before. Um, and I'm sure he got no no joy out of this, but he said, Oh, I've, I found a, I've got a good uh, example of lack and it's about baldness. And I was like, I said something funny back. So I was sure it was a joke, you know? And then of course, um, it wasn't a joke. So, (laughs) but he heard this on, um, the why theory podcast with Todd McGowan. And so here's an idea of what, when we talk about lack today, I want you to keep this example in mind. Um, on baldness. I don't know why he would bring up baldness to me. It's weird. <laughs> Obviously, I have a luscious mane under here that I just don't want to share with the world. Um, but he goes, there's, 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 um, hold on. Can you see me? Mm-hmm. You're getting a call. Oh, wait, it just got interrupted. Someone's calling you. Sorry, everybody. Are we still there? Oh, on, on Skype. Yeah. You got to sign me out of that Skype on your phone, man. Yeah, you show me how to do that. Okay. Or, or it might not be – sorry, everybody. We just had a technical difficulty. All right, you're back. Yeah. All right, so we're going to talk about lack, and uh, hopefully those people won't call us again. So lack is um, – as an example of baldness. So uh, Todd McGowan is also bald and wears wears a cap often, and some one of his guests brought this up, and so – Lack, obviously, being bald is a lack of hair. And uh, so when you're bald, balding, you, you lack hair. And, and, and the idea is, is why I want to talk about lack today. Let's just look at that for a second. Is kind of how, um, how we discover lack in our life, and often we try to fulfill that lack, and that's where the, the sin kind of comes from. Um, the idea of sin, but we've really got to, kind of look at that. Um, but he says the lack is this. Um, there's, there's three ways people handle baldness. There's the toupee, 
which which uh, hides the lack, um, and 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 pretends to not have the lack. Pretends that the lack is not existent. You know, it's not there. But you take a chance with the lack of the, with the toupee. Is that heavy wind comes, blows off, or you know, someone accidentally gets their watch, pulls your hair off, or something. And and so you're exposed. The lack is exposed, but you know the lack is it, the toupee is the denial of the lack. I often call my cap a toupee. Um, then there's the 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 second part of the balding uh, for the lack is the hat, the cap. And so the cap, uh, it it's not hiding anything. It's it's not denying. Like, I mean, it's like, hey, I I'm bald. I just wear a hat. You know, no big deal. Anything like that. But it's a way to avoid the trauma, you know, avoid the trauma of the lack. It's kind of like a, like a, 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 a what, did, what, what did he say? He said it was like a, um, like a tradition or something, like a, like a, like a ritual, you know, you put the hat on, you know, okay, here I look good, you know, and it becomes a ritual where you kind of, you know, you're avoiding the trauma through the ritual of wearing a cap. And then there's wearing nothing. No, and just being bald. So just, hey, everybody, there you go. Just doing that. And um, that is finding yourself complete in the lack by accepting the lack and just saying there is, there it is. That's the lack. It's, you can complete in it, you know, and you just embrace the lack. Um, my dad obviously has gotten a lot better at embracing the lack. <laughs> he doesn't wear, doesn't wear cap most of the time. Um, I guess I'm still trying to avoid the trauma, but at the same time being like, I have a lack, but I'm going to have a ritual. And, uh, so that's what I do. Um, but that's the lack. That's a little funny way of looking at the lack. Um, so I'm going to go into my idea of, of taking the lack and mixing it in with brokenness and sin. Um, and how, you know, how do we discover what the lack is in our different lives and what is sin? So, so, so sin, Tillich's, um, Paul Tillich did not believe that sin was a condition. Paul Tillich believed it wasn't an act or a collection of acts. You know, sin wasn't just like, oh, I, you know, I drank too much last night and that was my sin, you know, or. I do this and this and this and this and this, and I'm, that's all sin. Um, he believed that, uh, Paul Tuck believed that, that in a way it was like a lack because he believed that it was a separation or an estrangement from God, you know, like this, this or the ground of being. He, he, he doesn't use God a lot. Um, but that it was separation or estrangement. Now, I want to look at that way of kind of backing, taking a step back and going, okay, so separation, estrangement, and lack. So something missing separated from something, um, having estrangement with something. So the, the toupee, for example, allows you to have some sort of estrangement or, or separation from the reality of that lack in your life that you're hiding. And uh, only you have to deal with it at night, and then but there, no one else knows. And maybe you don't even deal with it. You just put it on your thing, and you don't look in the mirror on your mannequin head. Um, so... How does that how does that line up with what's happening? And I was thinking about this as like, you know, in AA um, or in twelve step programs that are anonymous, um, you know, people when you go into there, you learn about why we drink 
and you start to realize that it has a lot more to do with who you are and avoiding responsibilities in your life and not uh, owning up to your own side of the road, you know, and, and you find out you have all these resentments and you deal with the resentments. And then a lot of times you find out that these resentments are a part of who you, you know, are part of what you've done. It's your side. You resent them because they didn't meet a need in your life and that you had a lack in your life. And so instead of facing that lack or facing that or sitting down with a person and saying, this is what I need, this is what I want, or that my job is not okay, or, you know, I, I never became a mu- famous musician or I never became a famous pastor or I you know, never got that raise I wanted, you know, you just kind of drink and, and, and you're going to a spiral. Heroin is, is, is ultimate lack um, because it's, it's kind of a drug that pulls people into like the self-pity and completely, you know, just takes you away completely from facing any sort of lack. Um, also, it becomes a physical addiction where your body becomes dependent because your body even feels that lack, you know, and creates chemicals in your brain, you know, and that heroin takes those, you know, screws up with those chemicals that help you deal with lacks, with lacks in life. I mean, that's why people take medication often is to either cover the lack or to at least have enough strength and courage to deal with the lack or the brokenness in their life because you can't face it. Um, for me, um, I've had different coping mechanisms over, over, over time to deal with depression, to deal with things I couldn't face. Um, you know, and so I, I would have panic attacks because I wasn't dealing with things. So it came out in that form of panic attack. So I had to have rituals with the panic attacks. I had to keep water in my car because I thought I would choke while I was driving. Um, I had to take really heavy medication to keep me from having those panic attacks. And what I started to realize was is some of that stuff was hiding me and keeping me from going into that lack and facing that brokenness, you know, and facing what I need. Um, I was also thinking about um, one thing that we, you know, people deal with on a daily basis is like cheating affairs, you know, and so it would be honestly, it's easy for us to say, well, it's a sin to have an affair, you know, it's a sin to do that. Um, but really, the sin, if you look at the way we're looking at lack and we're looking at brokenness, is not the affair itself. Um, it is why are you having the affair? Why are you doing it? What is lacking that you're not willing to face? Are you not willing to sit down with your partner and have the discussion? You know, obviously there may be it's lack sexually or it's lack of connection. You're just not happy there anymore. And you don't want to face that. So you go outside of that world to fulfill that lack somewhere else. And now you go like, well, Jay, you know, an affair is really bad and it hurts other people. Well, think about what happens when you find out someone you loved and cared about had an affair. What do you feel when, when you've been cheated on? You feel like a victim and, you know, and you go, why am I not enough? Am I not good sexually? Am I not good, uh, a friend? Am I not a good partner? And then you, by, by having that, that lack exposed in your partner, all of a sudden you go and go, I feel a lack. I feel like I'm not, you know, now I'm lacking something or I'm not good enough for someone. So you see, this is kind of the idea of where you could kind of see that is that why this is sin. Uh, we've made sin into some sort of magical thinking, like a thing of do's and don'ts. 
I, I honestly think that's when Jesus came and was like, you know, getting rid of the law and fulfilling the law through his life and death. And why Paul said, you know, I no longer am a slave to law. I no longer live by the law. You know, I'm free from the law. If I go, if I rebuild the old system, I become guilty. It's because the law was another way of coping with that lack. You know, well, I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this, then I'm okay and I, I add up. And then I don't have a lack because I know I'm okay with God if I don't touch this or if I don't work on this day or if I sacrifice this or I give this up, then I know I, I, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus comes and says, it's not about that. That's a Band-Aid. That's temporary. And he talks about Moses and says, you know, I, you know, or Abraham, I mean. He talks about Abraham and goes back further and says, grace has always been here. And grace has always been the purpose and the idea. And so we have that constant need to fill that lack. And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, um, Paul says, you know, carry one another's burdens, go through each other's troubles, share each other's sorrows. And so in a way, this is a way to deal. He's saying this is how you deal with a lack. This is how you deal with sin is by going to one another. I mean, that's even says when someone sins against you, go to them. If they can't admit it, go bring come other people. If they're then talk to the church. You know, it, it, it's the idea is that this could be something really great and really useful and really um, coherent. And what is the word I'm looking for? Caleb's the only one who can answer me now. <laughs> Isn't that fun? It's like we're in a game show. <laughs> the million dollar question <laughs> yeah the pyramid um no but it's 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 practical it's actually more practical than the idea of sin being some magical thing i mean growing up in the church i was always taught do good be good don't do this don't do that and then jesus will be happy with you and you'll be you know, everything's okay so i'm like oh well i just have to do these magical things and basically what the church did was reset up the law, but just a new way of saying, do this, do this, and don't do that. You know, don't listen to this. Don't associate with these people. Don't do that. And then it'll be us and them, and then that'll be, everything will be good. But there was no confronting the lack. There's no confronting of like, well, why, why do I do this? Why do I want to get away from this? Why do I feel this separation and this estrangement? You know, it was just like this. No, just do these things and you'll be okay. But obviously that doesn't work. I mean, I deal with people constantly who've left the church, people who've left the church angry, hurt, and pissed off because of this magical thinking that becomes this weird type of theology that it's just like, oh, we're all mystics, you know, and like, I'll just put my my crystals over here and then I'll put my, you know, fish on my car and, you know, I'll tithe and everything will be okay, you know, and um but you never confront the lack. And the fact is, is, is we may never never fulfill the lack. We're going to talk about that more. Um, Mike Ness, whose birthday was just a couple days ago, lead singer of Social Distortion, um, in one of his songs, he goes, you know, um, I believe we're punished by our sins, not for them. And I like that idea because it gets rid of that magical thinking of saying, you know, God's up there going like, oh, I saw you sin, so your car is going to break down. You know, no, it's saying like back to maybe the example of the affair. Um, 
and you know, eventually that destroys a family. It leads to divorce. It leads to hurt. It separates people. It's really destructive or, or just even bad marriages where we divorce, where we're not able to deal with that lack or discuss that lack. I mean, sometimes you're able to sit down and say, this isn't working. We're not going to be able to fulfill this lack. And you're able to say, okay, well then we might, we might need to move on. You know, if we can't accept this, these lacks with one another, if those are non-negotiators, then maybe we need to move on. Um, but the idea is like saying I'm punished by our sins. We're punished by those things that we're trying to fulfill the lack. So when I become an alcoholic, you know, when I drink a lot, all of a sudden the lack starts to expose itself because all my inhibitions are down. You know, so I remember when I was a teenager and I would get really drunk, you know, and it was really fun at first and I could talk to people. And then all of a sudden I was sitting outside on the, on the sidewalk, sobbing, talking to one of my best friends saying, you know, I miss my dad so much and I don't know why he's in prison and I don't know why people are so mean and I can't understand this. And all of a sudden that lack again was exposed. All that pain that I was trying to get through and all that constant thinking that I was trying to numb, all of a sudden that lack became exposed again through that drinking. And then then I would hit somebody or I would, you know, say something inappropriate to a, a woman or something like that. And so I was kind of punished by that. And when I quit drinking around 21, um, I had to relearn how to have fun again. I had to relearn how to operate with people. I had to relearn how to discuss my own issues, how to, you know, I, I mean, I started drinking probably when I was 11 years old. So I was at an emotional level of an 11 year old at 20, mm-hmm. 21, because I continuously ignored the lack you know, so yeah. Um, so once again, like I mean, and I had written this before. Pete gave me the the toupee thing, but you know, it says we refuse to face or embrace the lack by covering it with something. So the toupee covers the lack, or I put my hat on so I just don't have to face the lack for a little while. You know, it's, it's, we all know it's there, but it just kind of goes unspoken. So it's a little bit easier. Um, you know, I remember the first time one of my kids was like, you have no hair back here. <laughs> you know, I was like, Oh, my kids know I have a lack, you know, they know I'm not perfect. And, uh, so when we refuse to face or embrace, a lack in our life. And we all have them. We all have these lacks. Sin is, this is where everybody is the sinner and all, you know, it's not maybe that we were born into sin or that it's this thing, but we just all lack something. And are we willing to embrace the lack and walk into that? Or do we want to continue to cover it up? I mean, and you can do this in so many ways. You can do this through money, you know, nice stuff, fashion, tattoos, a hat, alcohol, drugs, you know, um, church, constantly going to a church, and it fulfills that void and that lack for you. Um, and you just, you, you get stuck in this time of denial. Um, now, then we look at something like the idea of grace. And even what Tillich said about grace is, grace is this idea of accepting that you're accepted by something greater than yourself. That you are accepted despite that lack or almost because of that lack, you know? Amen. 
<laughs> and so that's why I always say grace is a type of anarchy is because you don't have to be a conservative or a Democrat or woke or unwoke or whatever to have grace. You know, grace is there and accepts us and all of our lacks. Now, what happens with grace is, is when you start to grasp the idea that you're accepted, Tillich says you may not get better, you may not become better, you may not become a better Christian, you may not believe more, um, you know, but I believe that eventually grace allows you to go into an idea of self-acceptance and to start to see lacks in your life and go, wait a second, I'm still accepted for that lack, which says, okay, well, if I'm accepted for it, maybe I can look at it. And for me... I tried a lot to quit drinking, and I tried to quit drinking for God and for Jesus and for God and country and everybody else, for my parents, for my friends. I could never do it. And it was when I grasped the concept of grace, and I knew that if I drank my whole life or not, it didn't matter that I was loved by God. All of a sudden, it hit me, and I was like, holy shit. What is, what the power was gone. I wasn't living in this guilt. I didn't feel like I had to cover up this lack because to me at that point, the main thing that mattered to me was what I thought God hated me. And then I realized God didn't hate me. And then I was accepted by something greater than myself, which I called God. Um, I was free to kind of face that lack. And so I think that's what grace allows us to do. It says, you know what? I'm, I don't have hair. You know, I, I wish I had a nice sweet pompadour, you know, but it's okay. I can embrace that, you know, and I can have fun with my kids about it. And I can say that, you know, hair follicles can't survive the God's anointing or, you know, or one time I remember bald guys like, I'm just a solar power sex machine. You know, I don't know what that meant, but um, some motivational speaker I heard said that once. Um, <laughs> such a weird thing. <laughs> um, but, you know, you can embrace it and laugh at it and deal with it because we're all broken. And so, I mean, what I'm really trying to say here, one of the things I'm trying to say here is that, you know, embrace your brokenness. Allow grace to embrace the brokenness and to allow to take a deeper look at that brokenness of just not like I'm a broken person, but what do I lack? What is the lack in my life? Now, me, I can't regrow hair. I mean, there's, you know, stuff you can spray on your head, and I could go get a hair transplant, which I guess would be the ultimate way to deal with the lack. Um, but it would cost a lot of money and be crazy and not know if I look like a, you know, a Barbie doll at the end of the day. Um, take, you know, taking some risks in there. But um, So look, at brokenness is part of life. We are often avoiding the reality that suffering is part of life. So that's another reason with this lack thing. You know? um, we, we don't want to admit that life is suffering and that life is hard. And we'll do a lot of things – to avoid that we will want to do a lot of things to avoid the lack in life even like like stuff like i grew up being bullied because of who my family was and stuff like that and now we're like very big into like let's get rid of bullies let's you know no bullying no this and that you know i'm not a big fan of bullies by any means um but you know they obviously have a lack that they're trying to deal with as, as kids and then we sometimes get that lack exposed to us through bullying, through that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, you kind of have to deal with it. You also have to learn how to deal with people and operate with people and learn to accept yourself as accepted rather than what other people think. And so I think sometimes when we go like, oh, you know, we're, we become very like PC and just no one can say anything bad and no one can say anything negative. Um, I think that also exposes a lack. 
in us, a lack of, uh, of wanting to face the reality that people are broken, that people are hard, people are mean, that life is hard, and that life is difficult. And I think it's a lack of, of, of fear of, of somehow that we won't grow from it. Or that maybe it's the fear that we can't love as much as we want to. And that there's that fear of that lack in our life that, you know, if someone's mean to me, it's going to hurt me and it's going to make me more angry and do this. So I don't know if I can grow. You know, I don't know if I can go through that. I don't know if I can fight this battle. And that's also a type of lack. Now, honestly, I don't want to do that. You know, like that's hard for me to say. I I prefer that to be the good lack and just like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to let anybody, you know, say anything. But the fact is, is, you know, if you saw how many weird texts and emails and Instagram messages I get that, you know, you just have to deal with. But it's taken me, what, 44 years to finally be comfortable with being Jim and Tammy's son. You know, it's taken me time to just like embrace that and really want to just be like, I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of my family. You know what? I know there's a great lack there in those people. I know there's a great lack in my life, but you know what? I can embrace the good things, you know? And, and it's weird in a world where most people want to focus on the negative, like they can't remember good things. They don't want to talk about the good things. Like, oh, your dad was in prison and he's a scam artist and he's trying to sell cures the coronavirus. And all that stuff is like a little bit, maybe half true here, a little bit truth here, but not complete truth. But people just take this. He's got to be all bad or all good. And so, you know, I have to get to a point where I'm able to embrace even the lack of going like, yeah, they are screwed up, but they're also my parents and they're people I loved and put into my life. So in a way, I'm like just kind of embracing that brokenness, walking into it and going, yeah, there's a lack here, but it's a lack I'm willing to live with because I feel like there's, there's, there's things I learned from it. The bad things I've learned for and made me who I am, the good things I've learned from and made me who I am. So I'm able to kind of embrace these lacks and the things that are here, the brokenness and the good pieces. Don't know if that makes sense. Hope it does. Um, In Romans, Romans 3, in Romans 3, 23, it says, um, since all have sinned and all fall short of God's of God's standard, they are now justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, but the idea is since all have sinned, so all... Gosh. Sorry, everybody. Somebody tried to call again. Sorry, um, technical difficulties. Um, but the idea is all have sinned, all fall short of the glory. But look at this idea of all have sinned. What it's saying is all are broken, all have a lack, um, but we're made whole in Christ, which hopefully that idea of acceptance, that freedom, as Pete Rollins once put it, grace is the freedom from the pursuit of happiness, the idea that we don't have to be perfect or pursue this perfect happiness, uh, gives us the ability to, to grasp that lack and, and realizing that we all are there. Not some of us, not us and them, it's all of us. Not conservative, not liberal, not whatever. We're all broken down people. So this might be something good to think about while we're in quarantine. 
you know, I think it's something that by embracing our lacks, looking at what we have in our life and what we lack to maybe build that. Um, you've, you've got things like capitalism. Let's look at capitalism for a second. Capitalism is an idea that our country is run on and, um, and what capitalism does is it tries to fulfill the lack um, with money. It gives us these ideas, this promise of a better future, a promise to be, oh, you're going to be a better, you're going to live better than your parents did. Oh, you're going to have, you know, this, we're going to, you're going to make more money. And, and, or it does it with stuff. I also like, oh, nice car and good home. I'll be comfortable in my home. You know, I'll be comfortable with a nice car. I'll have great air conditioning. Maybe I'll have a security system so I'll be safe. Um, or if I have the night clothes, you know, and I look really punk rock, you know, then I'll be really cool. You know, or if I have the right suit, you know, I'll do this or the nice or the right watch, you know. Um, but the stuff is never enough. And that's the thing with capitalism. It's never enough. And what we're finding out right now in the midst of the coronavirus is that, you know, you kind of keep trying to fill that void, keep trying to fill that lack. And all of a sudden, it stops working for everybody at once, and we're forced to stop working. We realize we don't have enough money to make it through the month. We don't have enough, you know, food. We don't have enough toilet paper, you know. And we just went from like having enough, having enough, having enough, more and more and more and more and more is never enough, to the point where everybody's getting toilet paper for some bizarre reason to fill some weird lack um, in their lives, <laughs> to feel secure, um, like they have control. Um, you think it would be harder to find water than or certain medicines, but no, toilet paper. I, I can't wrap my brain around it. Or wet ones. Those are one I, I like. Um, <laughs> sensitive guy. Um, <laughs> but the idea is, is, is that this, this idea of capitalism doesn't fulfill the lack. And I think we've realized that now um, that everyone's had to stop and now we've had to go into an idea of kind of a socialist idea and everybody's freaked out and talking about it. And, you know, who cares? You know, people need the, you know, we're getting $1,200 for a month. Um, Companies are probably doing better with socialism right now than we are. Um, But it's a type of grace. Now here, I'm not trying to preach to you that, you know, down with capitalism and pro-socialism. If you want to talk to me about that stuff, we can talk about that sometime. DM me on Instagram. You know, I'm glad to talk to my politics politics on podcasts as well. But, um, but socialism seems to be a type of grace right now. Like everybody's going to get this money to help take care of them. You're going to get some money for your kids. You're going to get through this. We're going to try to you know not have rent. This you know if you can't pay your rent, this well it's, it's taken care of. It's all taken care of. But it's just the basics. You know, it's not. I mean. I have more bills than, than that money provides. But the fact is, is it still helps. You know, I'm still, I don't care who wrote the check. I'm still going to deposit it and help pay my rent and pay for food for my kids and things like that. Um, but it at least provides something consistent. Um, I think we see this, you know, like seeing people lose their jobs and their health care is tied to their jobs or things like that. You know, it's just like we're realizing that there's this kind of lack in our system. You know, it's great when we're all able to work and do stuff and earn and earn and earn and earn. But also you realize it's never enough. The house is never enough. The nice vacation is never enough. 
the new cars are usually never enough. So you get a new, another new car. And I, I understand that because I'm a retail therapy person myself. I, I like to go online and order crap all the time and, 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 and waste my money. And then I get it. And it was more of the drive to get it yeah. than it was getting the thing. It's almost like, I can't wait for it to be here. I'm checking the mail every day. You know, oh, is it going to be here? Is it going to be here? You know, and and like, oh, maybe I'll forget, and it'll be an extra surprise. Um, but then it gets here, and you're kind of like, oh, and then it put it on the shelf, you know, or put it on and wear it for a day, and then it gets dirty. You know, I mean, it's just that's life. I, I know that we probably a lot. You know, people are losing me with the socialism, capitalism, the stuff, but I think it's worth pointing out. Um. And that's another thing is that that drive for the object becomes more important than the object itself. So we get in this concept of where we just we we get addicted to the the drive to get something like oh I'm going to work really hard and and people can workaholics you know because they want more money more money more money and it's never enough. I mean we look at these billionaires right now. You know, and some are doing some great things and, and some aren't doing anything, you know, and not helping. And that's their prerogative. It's their money. But they work really hard. They create these giant industries. They don't have to pay taxes because they want to keep as much as money as they can earn. But they could never spend that much money in their lifetime. It's not enough. So there's this this lack that they have that they think, well, maybe a billion dollars will be enough. Okay, maybe five billion will be enough. You know, maybe a hundred billion. You know, and it's never enough because they're not facing their lack. What they're doing is they're covering it with finance. They're covering it with a promise. So they continue to just drive forward and they become so addicted to the drive and the workaholism and things like that that they get some sort of thrill out of that, almost like a sexual thrill out of it that they're never able to really arrive. Because there is nothing to fill that lack. And so what people are saying, and a lot of philosophers say, is learn to walk into the darkness. Learn to be in, in the uh, dark night of the soul. And realize the dark night of the soul doesn't come with a nightlight. You know, it, it's not something that is easy to go through. Um, past year, I really had to face a lot of my demons. Um, past two years, really. And go into to uh i had to you know face some of my hurts and my pains that i didn't look through and i I was talking to a friend the other day and i said you know i said "I, i think like i didn't deal with my mom's death you know i'm like and so i got all these coping mechanisms that didn't work and one of my coping mechanisms was when people would criticize me I would always go and say, you're right, I'm horrible. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 yeah, I'm a piece of crap. Uh, no, I'm awful. And that became a coping mechanism uh, to almost say like, oh, look at me. I'm, I, you, when you say I'm horrible, I know I'm horrible. And, and that's making me embrace the lack. Well, no, what, what it's doing, it was keeping me from standing up for myself. It was, it was keeping me from communicating who I was and having a conversation with somebody about my lack. Just by saying, yeah, I've got the lack. All right, leave me alone. I don't want to deal with it. You know, I'm bad, so I'm bad. You know, rather than being like, you know what, I could probably get better in this situation. I could probably communicate better with this situation. Um, and I think that uh, probably affected my last marriage a lot is because I had – I was afraid of, of, uh, afraid of, of confrontation. So I avoided confrontation. And I just – oh, you're right. I'm bad. You're right. You know, and, and then set up this constant – 
act, this constant play that just played over and over again, where I never really dealt with the problems, except for thinking I was crappy, but I never dealt with why I thought I was crappy. You know, so I had to go through that and look at that lack and embrace that lack and go, okay, you know, those lacks are there, but now I realize sometimes those were just excuses to get out of things. So now I can go and sit down and go like, I can do one little thing at a time, like in, in, in the 12 step program, it's one day at a time. And maybe I can do this a little bit better, or maybe I can do this differently. And I'm able to look at it and confront it. When we are faced with the lack and we look at the lack, we're able to grow from that. We're able to become who we're supposed to be. And you know what? Those boundaries, then we do develop healthy boundaries. I think often we, we, when we're boundaries are built out of fear and anger and hurt, you know, everybody thinks that's what the really great reason to, to, to grow, build boundaries. But I think a better reason for, to build boundaries is to look at why am I hurt, what's hurting me, what part of that is my, my doing – and what part isn't, and know that you have the wisdom to confront, to confront that and draw boundaries that are healthy, that aren't based out of fear. Because now I go like, you know what? When somebody says something negative to me, I can have a conversation. Or you know what? I can take a few days away from that person and think about it and then come back and see if that's friendship, that relationship that whatever is worth building or saving or if it's something that it's time to move on. But only I can only do that in a positive way, in a productive way, in a healthy way when I confront that lack. So weird preaching on to a phone. Um, so... I see this playing out and, you know, we see all this kind of stuff, you know, where we think maybe the next thing will fulfill me. You know, we just see that playing out in life right now. Um, but the other things that helped me with, with the lack that I think is a good idea is therapy helps us to learn how to cope and, and uh, maybe even embrace the lack. That's one of the things that therapy does. Why do people go to therapy? You know, you want to discuss things, talk things. I think psychoanalysis is probably better, but I can't afford it. Um, but I go to therapist and think, and you kind of learn to, why do I feel this way? What has hurt me? I, I did this EMDR where you do this rapid eye movement thing and, and, and you talk about dark moments in your life. But the hard part about it isn't the moving your eyes because I thought that was ridiculous at first, but was looking back and finding out where maybe the lack began. Well, why does it hurt me when so-and-so says this? Oh, wow, you know, my dad said something similar to that when I was a kid. And my brain didn't know how to quite take it, and so I took it as fact because it was my dad or my mom or a figure that I, I thought knew the truth, you know. Often like we do with the Bible, well, that's 100%, or with Christianity, well, it's the truth. And so we get these things that click in our brain and go, well, that's the truth, and that must be right. Um, and honestly, it was a situation where it wasn't correct. You know, I wasn't lazy at the time. I just didn't want to paint the house. You know, I didn't want to paint the building. Um, but the words were said to me, and they got into my brain that I was a bad person. So I had to go through that and through this thing and confront the lack. And I would sob as I was confronting this lack. Um, but that lack just 
carried on with me into all my relationships and those defense mechanisms all built around that. And I had to learn to let all those things, like face all those things, but I could only really deal with those things if I would go back to some of the areas where, like I was getting coping mechanisms that were healthy through uh, DBT, dialectic behavioral therapy, but the EMDR was helping me face the root of these issues so I could lessen some of those coping skills that I had. I mean, it's, it's really cool. Now remember, we're saying that this lack, the shame, this, this, this brokenness, I'm calling, I'm saying this is what sin is. Okay. So I want to remind you all that I, I, that's the idea of this talk is that this is what, this is the idea of what sin is. And so rather than us going like, I'm going to be a sin manager, it's just saying we're, we're all lack. We all have brokenness. We all have separation. We all have estrangement, whether it be from the ground of being or whether it be from ourselves, which is often the fact, Mm -hmm. or it be from others. And that's where we find most of our suffering from is where that lack is and where that separation is and where that estrangement is. I mean, I think it's where wars come from. It's where miscommunication comes from. It's where most of our suffering comes from, uh, lack of understanding of who I am when I'm a child. So I take all that as 100% of what my parents said or what someone said about my parents or things like that. The other day I put up a quote from my mom um, where she talked about, you know, you know, we're not just for, you know, we don't just love Republicans. We love Democrats. She said we love liberals. You know, she's like, I have no political, we have no political agenda. We're just called the love people. And I always thought my parents had said that, but so long of hearing people condemn them and talk about them and then how my dad is very political now, I started to think that maybe I had it wrong in my brain and I was just like, oh, that was just wishful thinking. And then someone put this post up and I go, oh my gosh, that wasn't, you know, that, that was true, you know. And, uh, and to me, that's, you know, realizing like my, even my mind was like, no, there's that lack, you know, I, I, this, this disconnect, this constant disconnect of wanting to grow and then being reminded that there was something there that was really good and really, you know, great. But I had to look back and face something in order to see that, you know, rather than avoiding it. And I, I love to avoid hard situations, but to me realizing that's a sin because I don't become who I'm supposed to be. And like King said, when we're not who we're supposed to be, it's hard for us to be who others are supposed to be. Or like Malcolm X said, you know, uh, the black community has to learn to love themselves first, and then we can start to work with, with the white community. You know, the idea is we've got to learn to love ourselves before we can love others. You know, those are, those are important things, you know, and maybe we have to learn to love those in our own community before we can love other people in other communities. You know, love is complicated. Um, but if the idea of biblical love is that we love each other and we even love our enemies, then the idea of the concept of, of sin being lack makes sense. It also makes sense that we have to do work on ourselves to love more and then to love our enemies so we can sit down and communicate with our enemies. But it's not always going to be easy because they're going to have triggers, they're going to have buttons, they're going to have say things that may hurt us. But when we have embraced our own lack – then we can almost start to see the lack in others and realize that they're coming after me because they have something they believe that comes from a lack in their life. They were raised a certain way and told people think a certain way and do this, and they are not willing to face that. They've become victims of misinformation, as as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would say. They've become victims of misinformation, and that information has become the enemy, not them, because they have a lack. And what am I going to do there is I'm going to try to expose that lack to them. 
and hopefully give them a place to look at that. And, you know, and, 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 you know, that, so I'm just saying that the idea is that if God is love, and then the Bible says uh, in First John, if you can't love people, you can see. How can you love a God you can't see? You know, this idea of how do we deal with this lack is we love more, but we have to love ourselves in order to love others. And we have to face this lack. There is no sacred object that's going to make you happy. There is no person. You know, I've seen people go after relationship after relationship to, to fill the void, to be happy. And what I start to realize is that they're more in love with the drive of, of finding these relationships and getting into the new part of the relationships. And then the relationship becomes reality and then it falls apart. And the problem is, is they haven't felt the lack in themselves. And so they're trying to fill it with someone else. And maybe in the first, you know, when you're all romantic and you're feeling good and you're making mixtapes and all that stuff, you feel really good and you feel like, oh, this is complete. But it's a Band-Aid because then all of a sudden, dirty dishes and a dirty house and children and bills, you know, and then that reality comes in and then all of a sudden that person's not warm and fuzzy anymore and that lack shows up and then we just, boom, it implodes and then we go on to the next search. But what we don't realize is it's, we, the sacred object doesn't exist and the fact is, is we've become addicted to trying to find the sacred object and just moving in that. And what happens is when we look at what our lack is, it exposes that. It's taking the hat off and just being like, I'm going to do every sermon this way. Um, medication, for example, helps with, with dealing with the lack. It's helped with me in the past, but it's also done things like cover up the lack too. So you have to be careful. Uh, meds often help us live with the lack, um, by helping us with the pain, but it also keeps us from not facing it. So we have to look at that. I'm on medication right now, so I'm not an anti-medication person. I'm very pro medication, but there comes a point where maybe we need to lessen the medication or we need to learn how to live life on life terms. On the medication I'm on now is much different than the medication I was on a year ago. A year ago, I just would take it and sometimes I would just pass out. Um, you know, I'd have no feelings, you know, and, uh, and at the time I couldn't deal with my feelings. I was trying to take my own life. I mean, I just couldn't face it, you know, and I had to slowly get to a point where I could face that lack. And I took a, a electric shock therapy to help me face the lack. So I'm not selling you anything that I think is easy. I'm not trying to tell you a, a cure to that. I'm not trying to say like, Oh, I got it figured out. Here you go. Um, because it takes hard work. I asked Pete, I said, Pete, man, you've got to write a book on pyrotheology, an introduction to pyrotheology. You got to write a book on that. You know, you know, and he said, Jay, what you're not understanding is, is it's not easy to understand completely. There is no just easy answer. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to be like, let's provide an easy answer for everybody. He's like, it's putting in the hard work. It's putting the work in, you know? And so it, it, it's you know what what is that chef the guy the blonde chef who's like not Guy Fieri the other one um, who Gordon Ramsay Ramsay, he yells at everybody and stuff and he's like oh you know and and nobody could everybody's like oh he's so crazy but we love to watch him on TV Um, I watched an interview with him and they were asking him who were these chefs and what were they like that influenced him and he was just like every single one he was like oh they were a nightmare you know Mm -hmm. they were really hard on me you know and um, but they made me better they made me who I am. And, and, and yeah, he yells at people and acts crazy, but he was like, they made me the best chef I could be. 
you know, and so you had, he had to get to a point where those guys yelling at them and being crazy. And he said, one guy deserved an Oscar. He was so insane, mm-hmm. you know, but made him a great cook was learning to not take that lack personally. Realize like, okay, I lack this as a chef, but maybe I don't like this as a person. And he said it made him tougher, stronger, and a better cook, you know, and now he's a huge freaking star, you know, um, not that that's what we all want, but I'm just saying maybe he still has a lack, but, but the idea is, is, you know, he realized that there were certain things in his life that he had to embrace and certain hard things he had to go out. Yes. You know, uh, someone just wrote school is never out. And that's the truth. School, you know, we're always learning. We're always growing. Life is a progress process. Um, but how do we fulfill the lack? We don't. So when we start to learn that the drive to the lack is also part of the problem, we learn to go back from that too. And let's, I'm going to use relationships one more time as an example, as we learn that no one has it all figured out, that no one is the secret person for us, um, that God probably didn't make someone for you to meet. Um, if they did, they probably live in China. Um, but, but the fact is, is that we learn to live with each other's lacks as well. And, uh, and that's tough. That's hard work. No one wants to do it. We always want, I want the intro book. I want the, you know, pyrotheology for dummies. The idiot's guide. I mean, I honestly, if you went to my house, you would see about 20 introduction and idiot books because I thought that used to be the secret. Um, and then I started saying, oh, Pete, I got this book. With me. He's like, no, 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 no. You got to read this book. You got to read this book. And I'm like, but those are really hard. He's like, you got to, I don't understand them. You just keep reading them. And so one day, I, you know, for years, I started reading these books that I like could barely understand and just struggling through them. And I said, well, why do I understand it some and other people don't? You know, I'm a pretty simple thinker. And he's like, because you put in the hard work. You read these books. I'm like, yeah, and they're really tough. How do I, you know, I want to give the secret answer though. You know, now I want to be like, I want to give the cure all to everybody. So I get it when we want the easy answers. Um, I think with this idea is that we have to realize is that skin is sin, uh, as when we see it as a lack or as brokenness is not something very scary. It's not as scary as it was before. It's something that we're able to embrace, you know, hate the sinner, love, love, hate the sin, love the sinner thing. You know, well, there's no reason to, to do that is if we understand the lack on our own self, we can see it in others and maybe we can help others through that. We don't have to hate the sin. We can actually just see is that lack is a part of human nature. It's a part of who we are. Trying to fulfill some sacred object in our life to fulfill us is just part of living. You know, and we see people go through this. Maybe it's how many Twitter followers they have or how many books they sell. Um, you know, it's this capitalism will fulfill me, you know, or whatever. I don't know. Um So I've said this before, and I just read my notes, but I'll finish with this: is you know I've learned uh, over time to walk in to the lack, embrace it, um, to get away from simple thinking. Um, and here's one point of simple thinking that we often do, and this is a hard one to embrace: is that um, writing others off as good or bad, you know, including myself, I have to be like you know. Just this person's bad, this person's good. Okay, now life is simpler. You know, all my problems are based on the president. You know, 
Um, that's like me saying all my good stuff is based on the president or the president before, you know, well, Obama was here. Everybody was happy and nothing was wrong. And that was really great, you know? And then now we have this guy and he's all bad and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Um, it's just funny, like watching, watching, um, with president giving up, uh, Trump giving updates every day, you know? Um, there's a small percentage of like when I can kind of see him like growing a little bit, you know, where he's kind of like, you know, one day he's saying like, oh, well, Easter's going to be awesome and we're all going to rock it, you know? And you're like, what? And then a few days later, he's like, a lot of people are going to die and there's not, we're not going to be back by Easter when we got to do that, you know? And he gets this like dose of reality, you know? And you see the complexity of even someone like a Donald Trump, you know, people are complex. No one is all bad. No one is all good. And I'm using that as a very extreme example, but that's because every single one of you watching right now has an opinion on that man. And we want to scapegoat that man, but I just honestly, life goes on with whoever's president or not. I mean, that's Henry Rollins. I saw Henry Rollins right after the election and he just said, you know, we're going to make it because we're human beings and we're able to live. And we lived through a lot of bad presidents, a lot of good presidents, just difference, but life goes on. Um, So we're learning to live life on life's terms. That's another AA thing is live life on life's terms. Not easy, but worth it. Um, one of the other things that Tillich said on sin, and I just want to get this because we're using a sin as a lack or, or a um, separation or an estrangement or brokenness, is um, Tillich had this threefold thing on, on sin as separation and I think I've already covered it, but I'll just say it one more time because it's here in my notes, is um, an individual's lives, which is is the lack of us versus them, this kind of person like, oh, they lack and I don't, or we, I, you know, um, or they're sinners and I'm not. Um, from self, lack, where, you know, we have our own separation, um, which that's where the lack really shows is the self where sin is in the self is the, we see the lack in our own life or uh, the ground of being where we're separated from that, which I think is, I'm going to just go ahead and say ground of being right now. I'm going to just say grace. I'm not going to say God. I'm going to say, say grace acceptance that you're some, accepted by something greater than yourself. Um, and we become separate from those things. You know, I can hear a lot about grace, but I also have all those tapes in my brain that when I, from when I was a kid that said, oh, you don't add up, you're not good enough, you're lazy, you're this, you're that. You know, So I have to confront all that, but I'm able to confront that more as if I accept grace, if I accept that, and I don't separate myself from that. Because a lot of us have separated ourselves from grace, because now we're like, oh, I have grace for these people, but I have no grace for those people. And unfortunately, that's not how grace works. Grace is anarchy. It's for everybody. Sorry. Um, it pisses me off too. Don't, don't worry. Um, so that's where we go with that. I'm going to end with the serenity prayer. I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to read the serenity prayer to you. Cause I think, um, as what I think is important, um, a part of the serenity prayer is, uh, which I used to read in my 12 step program all the time is that God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, this is why I think this is important, um, is two parts here in, in this prayer, is the things I cannot change. Being able to say, God, grant me the eternity to accept the things I cannot change. Help me accept the lack. 
the part of the lack that will never be fulfilled. Um, whether it's saying there is, a, I don't know if there is a God or not a God, or you know, I can't be certain, you know, because we can become addicted to certainty as well. Um, the things I cannot change, you know, okay, you know what, money may never make me happy, but at that point, maybe you say I'm, I'm going to go work with orphans in Africa, or I'm going to go, you know, work at a shelter, or I'm going to, you know, become a actor, or you know, I'm whatever, you know, you you get to a point where you're like, okay, this isn't fulfilling me. You know, there's this lack is here, but you know, or realizing there's nothing that's going to do it. And you accept that they can't change. So things I cannot change. So help me accept the things I cannot change. I can't, I can't call up the president and say like, here, I've got some great ideas for you. I think you should do this and maybe not say it this way. And maybe think of it like this. And I can't do that. So I just kind of have to accept the things I cannot change, or at least try to change them in a different, different level or stay in my influence, you know, stay in my lane, <laughs> as I've heard people say before. Um, then there's the things I can uh, change and uh, courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. So when we know the difference of what I can change and what I can't change, give me the wisdom to be able to accept my brokenness, to accept the sin, to accept the estrangement, to accept the separation. Give me the wisdom to accept what parts of those things I cannot change. I, you know, I'm separated from my mom because I'm alive and she's dead. I have to accept that I cannot change that. And, you know, but there are other things like my father's still alive. We can still have conversations. I can still send him photos. Maybe we, we can come to an understanding one day. Um, maybe there is hope there. Uh, maybe there's not, but those are things that I might be able to change and manipulate. That's why I don't go online and go like, I denounce my father as a heretic, you know, like people ask me to do all the time. And I'm like, no, you know, I'm not going to do that. Cause I can talk to the man on the phone, you know, um, you know, uh, if I'm a minister, I'm not going to write anybody off. You know, if I'm like following this concept of, of love in, 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 the, in a, a the, theological Christian concept, in a theological Christian concept, I'm, I am going to try to give that to everybody. Like when we talked about the idea of do you believe in God? And the answer is, well, I'm trying to love my neighbor. I'm trying to love my enemy. So I, I feel like I'm called to try to love people and try to understand them and then eventually bec- accept what I can change and what I can't change. And that's tough to do. Um, so there you go. You know, the sin, sin as lack, sin as brokenness, sin as estrangement, sin as separation. Um, a few of the people that inspired this talk, uh, definitely Peter Rollins, um, definitely Paul Tillich, um, Todd, Todd McGowan. Um, those are all people you should look up. They've all got great books and, and, and Google them. So I think that's where we're going to end the talk. That was an hour and, and change. So thanks, you guys, who stuck with me through that one. Um, we, we do a Q&A. This is the afterglow or, or an A&A or where you can push back or we can talk about it. Um, Caleb wrote down a lot of your guys' comments and stuff, so we'll talk about some of those. If you have any more questions, you can just type them out, and, and Caleb will try, we'll try to get to what we can. You can stick around if you want, or you can uh, go have a lovely Sunday.
I don't know if you're in Minnesota, but it's a lovely day in Minnesota. Um, Caleb, what do you have for us? There weren't a whole lot of uh, straight-up questions for you. Lots of positive feedback. People really liking the the dots that you're connecting. People saying, like, you... you uh, giving practical application for these kind of lofty philosophical and theological ideas people are giving you thumbs up oh that's nice to hear yeah that's encouraging because that's what i want to do for sure and um let's see one one direct question was uh teresa asks what bible translation you're reading out of i am reading out of the new revised standard version it's usually Catholic Bibles or New Revised Standard Version. Mm. I think this is the most accurate version of the Bible. I like the New Living because it's easy to read, um, but it also has some verbiage I don't like. Um, but the NRSV, that's what I'm reading. Cool. Um, and then we did have a few people just asking specifically some prayer requests. I was thinking if, if that's something that's important to people to do, maybe they can. Maybe we could... Uh, facilitate some sort of thing where people can communicate prayer requests to each other. That oh, that's might, a great idea. Might be something we could do. Yeah. Because we had a few people just dropping in little requests. And then our, our good friend Sean says, uh, how do we accept that we are accepted by something greater than ourselves if we do not believe in God? I know AA isn't explicitly theistic, but I don't know how this works. Great message. Um. Well, I mean, some people I remember in in the program, said sometimes they, they the, the group conscious of the group mm-hmm. was their higher power. Like, just how we, we work together as a group and we make decisions together as a group became the, the conscience. The group conscious became the higher power. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard for people to deal with the whole God thing in AA because there's a lot of God stuff in, in AA and it was founded as a Christian thing and, and now it's, you know, changed a little bit and these were higher power rather than God. Um, you know, I mean, I've heard people say things like the tree is my higher power. Nature is my higher power. Um, I think love is a great thing to be a higher power. You know, I don't believe in God. Well, do you believe in love? Yeah. You know, um, and not just your own concept of what love is, but, but, you know, maybe grasp even a greater concept of, of love, you know, um, the idea of peace. Um, those are things that I like, um, because all those are complicated, or the idea of nonviolence, uh, Martin Luther King's work. I mean, you can take God out of those things, and there's a lot of people who do great work without God being in those yeah. things. So um, there are obviously things more powerful than yourself, and uh, finding that, I guess, is the thing: is is that you are accepted, mm-hmm. or or you know, I'm not going to be your higher power by any means. But realizing that there are insane Christians like me that don't know, you know, 100% if there is a God or no God, but we are doing this, I am accepted, something by greater than myself that I don't know if it's there, but you know what I do know is that I'm accepted. Yeah, right. And I'm going to let you know that you are accepted. So even the group conscious of the Revolution Church of a bunch of questioning people coming together and still taking a part in this activity in this tradition and, and, and using it in a unique way mm-hmm. can be a sense of, well, maybe the community of, of grace and hope and love can be that, mm-hmm. that higher power. Um, That's really well put. Yeah. I mean, it's really tough. I mean, I get it. I, I, I get it. You know, it's, it's sometimes I think for people who are, who don't believe in God, uh, 
maybe there's a greater power because you don't have this idea of this something that's greater than yourself in a box. In me, I have a theological box or thought, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But you have something that's not, that is just the abyss. Mm -hmm. So maybe allowing that abyss or that that, uh, infinity rather than the finitude, you have this infinity of that it's just the universe. You know, space and Saturn, Saturn's my favorite planet, um, is... You're accepted by that. There's chaos and everything like that, but you are alive. You are accepted by that which is greater than yourself just by being alive. You're here. So anyway, and I bet you what? I bet you there's people who could answer that question better than me here on on Facebook. So hopefully you folks can help him, you know, help with that question. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a really good answer. And I think, too, that, like, approaching it as an abstract concept, like the higher power or whatever, I found, I found that very helpful in abstracting it almost almost deconstructing it to a point where it's unrecognizable but it's like the why do I I am accepted period and I am loved with a capital L but it's almost like that's to participate in in that is something I almost have to create also yeah if I want there to be love with a capital L if I want there to be uh you know something that resembles altruism or something like that I have to participate in creating it which is almost like encouraging because it puts the onus on the the humanistic kind of approach to it and saying like well if we want a better tomorrow if we, if we want a heaven yeah we have to build it if we want a god we have to participate in it and i'm yeah and i'm totally believing in life before death i'm not putting all my chips in at some po- pa- uh, afterlife you know I, and i think too is if we look at someone like tillich who stripped god down and pulled god out as this man from heaven and said it's the ground of being you know but then you have a great theologians who've even stripped it down even more to the point where it's like, it, well, I don't even know what it is. I mean, they might use the word God or the unconditional or these different words to grasp it, but it's just really, you know, and it kind of frees God from any of our constraints. Con- mm-hmm. Is that the right word? Constraints. Constraints, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Caputo, boom, boom. Uh, and then Lisa chimed in, kind of responding to Sean also, and said, if someone needs to get around the no God to accept me, there's also no God to not accept me. I think that's that's a really oh, that's deep good. observation because it's like, by by saying, well, there's no God and so that shifts my worldview, that's just predicating upon the presumption that there was a God. Yeah. So like if you approach it without any of that dichotomy, any of that polar polarization then it's like it kind of makes it easier because you're not really answering a question. You're saying, well, that question didn't exist to start with. It's like, okay, well, cool, then here we are. You know, yeah. then we don't have to answer it. And, and, and realizing that God or no God, you know, if, 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 you're, if it's that idea of, of, of embracing the lack because you're saying, I don't believe in God, there's a lack there, so that doesn't, Fulfill, you know, what you're saying is that, that never fulfilled that spot. I don't believe it anymore because it doesn't fulfill that area, and that and there's a lack there. Um, but just because that's, you know, maybe the lack we we you have to live with, and there's still love and grace and acceptance there. I mean, just think about kids, man. Yeah. I mean, dealing with kids, my kids are just they're crazy, but man, they show me so much love sometimes. Sometimes my son will just sit there and smile at me, or he does this thing where he brings me. Like if I'm just alone sitting there, he'll come up and he'll bring me this little Garfield. A little stuffed Garfield that he bought at a, bought at a used 
like a garage sale and he's like, Pop, I know you love Garfield and he always brings him to me, mm-hmm. you know. And if that memory that now is happening, but even if that something I want to hold on to, I'm like, I'm never going to give up this Garfield, that embrace and that memory of that love, knowing that that type of love exists is almost enough for me, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, just he sits there and smiles at me sometimes and it's like, I've never felt love like that before. Not in any prayer meeting or any spiritual elf where just this is something I've been really, you know, I don't know. It's really beautiful. Anyway, what else do we have? That's great. What else do we have over there? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Sean just responded and said, embracing the lack of God. That's really good stuff. And the love of your children. Uh, yeah, not, not a whole lot of other specific questions for <laughs> you. Um, people just kind of resonating with what you said. Um, uh, I, I'll just, the only thought that I, I know I'm, I talk all the time, but like a little thought that popped in my head, um, that something else that I've heard Peter Rollins reference is like how fundamentalism isn't, uh, characterized by certainty. It's characterized by like rejecting doubt or covering doubt, like band-aiding doubt, toupeeing. The toupeeing doubt. Toupeeing doubt. Yeah. So I think that's, that's kind of. Uh, a good insight. It's like, and we always talk about like switching one form of fundamentalism for another. You know, like going from fundamentalist Christian to fundamentalist atheist kind of thing. It can be really easy to just say, "Oh, well, these are my new parameters, and this is my new assertion of absolute, you know, uh, certainty." So, yeah. There we go. There is that go. good? Well, I hope you all are able to. I mean, you have nothing but time to sit and think about this. So, hopefully, you let it sit in a little bit, sink in, and feel, you know. We've got a revolution uh, hangout group on Facebook now that you can sign up for. Starting a Bible study. We're starting a Bible study. Caleb's starting a Bible revolution Bible study. Um, so yeah, we got some cool things happening. But uh, talk about this more also in the comments. But yeah, um, and if you have a question, maybe you can just. I've been getting a lot of Instagram questions lately. So if I miss you, I'm sorry. It's just sometimes they get so piled up that I. I just look for a minute and then I forget to go back. So I do apologize, but I am really trying to talk to people as much as I can. It's just sometimes I get overwhelmed with uh, questions. Um, Hey, thanks for listening to Revolution Church. Thanks for being here today. If you guys, um, there's going to be a redundant lady after this that asks for support, but just because we're in COVID-19 world that like, if you're in a place where you can support your church um, and you want to, you can go to revolutionchurch.com and help us out. Um, we really could use your support right now. Um, we also have Caleb on the Facebook also has a fundraiser for himself. If you want to be like, I want to help Caleb, um, because we want to continue doing this and keep this up and, uh, we're not getting any, I don't think we're getting any governmental help, but if they give some to nonprofits, maybe we will, but if you want to help us and support us and you can great, if not, we'd much rather have you than your money. So thank you. Lots of love. Embrace the lack. Good luck with that. See you later. We'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Hi, I'm Caleb with Post-Christian Podcasting. If you enjoyed this show, you might also like another Post-Christian Podcast. Everyone's Autonomous with Marie de la Font. And uh, so I think it's important that we probably talk to our children and ask them how they're doing and how they're feeling. And um, 
strange the other day, Milo, my son, uh, just two days ago, came up to me and said, hey, will you read this book to me? And it was the divorce book. I have a divorce book because me and his mother went through a divorce. For kids? For kids, yeah. yeah. And I was like, yeah, sure, buddy. You know, we can read it. And we talked about it. And I said, are you sad about the divorce? And I mean, it's been a while, but a couple of years almost. And he was like, yeah, that's the only man. It makes me sad. I'm not mad. I'm just sad. But it was the thing was like I felt like he was almost reaching out to me going like I don't know how to handle not being at school or being around my friends or anything. So I need to just talk about something that is in my heart. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, I mean, it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's strange. What do you think? Um, and maybe you're doing it with your kids, but what do you think could have been done differently for you growing up? Um, that would have helped, like, how would you have preferred the people, the, you know, the guardians in your life handled you differently That was a post-Christian podcast.